0: Welcome back to Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. On today's program, we will talk about a program in southeast Missouri that helps with employment and opportunities to make child support payments. And before you get in the garden and start spraying for pests and bugs, you'll want to listen to Tamara Rial from MU Extension. She says, hold on. Those little pests might actually help your garden. And the Missouri legislative session on spring break. It's a good time to see where the governor stands on the programs made so far and what's left to do. Charlie Richardson from our affiliate in Sedalia, KDRO, is here with Governor Mike Parson.
1: I want to talk a little bit about there's several things that you've got, uh, have accomplished so far. One of them certainly is, and you've talked about this for a long time, is the I-70 project infrastructure and the workforce there. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's progressing?
2: Yeah, you know, it's just it's something that we've really been on ever since I've been governor, uh, trying to really build up the workforce and the infrastructure in this state. And when you look at the highway systems, the airports, the bridges, broadband, a uh, whole coalition of things, we it's just been a great opportunity for us. And we've got a lot accomplished and continue to do that. But the I-70 corridor is something we've known for a long time that we're going to have to do something in that if we really want to be competitive in the future when it comes to new businesses expanding businesses just get merchandise across america which missouri plays a key role in that so for the first time ever uh i and i believe now's the time we don't get it done now i don't know that we get it done but we have the money to do it we have a plan in place and i believe there's a lot of push from the legislators to get that done so to make I seventy into three lanes, both directions, would be a huge accomplishment, and just it would just be so good for the state. So, uh, it's one of those things. It's a top priority for us. So, we're, we're going to do everything we can to push that across the finish line.
1: Oh, I would think adding that third lane would certainly uh, help with the uh, in the area of commerce within the state, would it not?
2: Oh, I, I don't think there's any question about that. And the volume of that road carries all across the United States uh, that goes there is just. Just huge, but the other thing I'll tell you too—the safety factor of it is huge too. I mean, look, I, I just come back from St. Louis late last night. You get out there on that road, the trucks and the traffic out there—it's more and more difficult each year to just be able to get down that road in a safe way. So, I think anytime we can add another lane, that'll make it safer. Uh, I think it'll be better for the everyday commuters. You just got to get out there for business uh, on the local levels too. So. It's a win-win for, for us, uh, the economy, it's a win for safety, and it's a win for just travel for everyday people.
1: Outstanding. And, of course, that is a major artery all the way through the state. Now, let's let's talk a little bit, maybe explain to the listeners what the supplemental budget is and what we can expect.
2: Yeah, The, the, the supplemental budget is just a matter of one that you have to put in place early on the legislative process just basically to pay the bills uh, is what you're doing. And so... That's pretty routine. That happens every year. The one that was a little unusual in this year is we did put the money in there for pay raises mm-hmm. uh, for state employees. And basically, it's just to get, just to get it to them quicker. Otherwise, they have to wait till July the 1st or January 1 to receive those raises. So I really wanted to try to do something significant for state employees. We're about 7,000 employees down in, in the state. And frankly, we're just trying to be competitive. And, uh, and, you know, what happens so much in the state is we become training grounds for the private sector. And one, I want to retain state employees. And two, I want to try to recruit people to come to work, uh, in our state government. So one, it was just to, to kind of pay the people, uh, what I feel like we owe them right now. We could do it, we could afford to do it and be reasonable about it. And then, then again, to recruit and retain. That, that's kind of what that was all about.
1: actually approved a pretty substantial raise for, uh, for government workers. It was eight and a half percent. I think it was eight,
2: eight point seven percent. It was one of the largest ones that we had ever received. The the state employees, I say we state employees did elected officials did not receive that. It was it's really for those state employees on the front lines that that we tried to do that was, and it was based kind of under the index, the same as what we did on, uh, say what they did on social security this year, Uh, the same, the same amount of money that was received there. So again, We've never done anything, but we can afford that right now. We're not all going to be able to do stuff like that, so you kind of want to do it while while you can.
1: Now, our neighbors to the west, over in Kansas, uh, Governor Kelly over there uh, approved a the sales tax on food is incrementally going away. It went from six uh, and change percent down to four percent now on a uh, uh, sales tax on state sales tax on food. Anything any plans like that in the works for Missouri?
2: Yeah, I think there's legislation there now on different items in the grocery market, uh, personal hygiene items, different things the legislators are working on. So we'll see if that crosses the finish line. I think the other thing for Kansas, though, where they're talking about a 6%, we're already down to like 4.8, so we're below that already. Uh, but I, I think you'll see some things where we'll try to reduce taxes. I think, uh, you know, since I've been governor We've, just, we've uh, reduced the state income tax three times now, uh, and probably the lowest it's ever been, which we're going to go down to 4.8 by July for, for people in the state. So we're really trying to reduce those taxes in all areas that we can and do it smart and reasonably. we still got to be able to function. But the whole thing about it is, I believe this from day one long before I ever come to Jeff City, is the idea, if you keep money in people's pockets, people will spend money, they will buy things, they will invest things. That's what drives the economy, not government. And it's just about as fundamental as you can be. But anytime you're putting more money in people's pockets, it's a better day for Missouri.
1: Well, that's been a proven strategy over and over again, uh, even on national level. So we know that 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 works. So it sounds like a good plan. Now, Attorney General uh, Bailey has... uh, well, he has made efforts to get Kim Gardner, a prosecutor there in St. Louis County, um, out of that office. Is that anything that you weighed in on?
2: Yeah, we, we most certainly did. Look, Kim Gardner's been prosecutor for a long time, and it's the violent crime in St. Louis is just out of control. I mean, you see it on, on national networks, uh, execution style, killing on the sidewalk. You've seen the poor girl lost both their legs up there on a guy that had been released 50 different times from the, you know, the prosecutor's office of the courts in St. Louis. You know, it's, it's one thing whether you like somebody or whether you don't, but when you put your hand in the air and you take an oath and you say, hey, I'm going to follow the Constitution, I'm going to follow the laws of the state of Missouri, you have an obligation to do just that. You may not be very good at it, but when you literally just don't do your job, then you have to be accountable for that. And that's where Kim Gardner's at. I mean, when you just look at her records, it'll speak for itself and tell you that she is probably the worst prosecutor in the state of Missouri and just compare to anybody else. And, you know, the other thing of it is, you know, uh, play the race card, you know, and they play she's a female and all that stuff. This really, if you were just everybody, no matter where you're from, would just take a look at her record of what she has done, you would come to the same conclusion that myself, the attorney general has it's time to make the change and she's just not doing her job period.
1: Wow. That's a, uh, that's pretty intense. I know that, um, that A.G. Bailey is, is, uh, heavily engaged in that effort. Governor, do you have any plans to visit the any anytime in the near future?
2: Well, you know, I don't know. I, I, to me, I'd like to go there tomorrow and spend a few days there and kind of get back to the normal world every once in a while. But, uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, I'll probably be through there some. I know the state fair is coming up. So we're there normally in June. I think a couple of stops, uh, when you look at the business side of things, the growth and the expansion, uh, you've always been aggressive in that area. And, uh, nothing was more prouder for me than, than to be able to represent the state fair and get to do some of the things I've got to do for those state fairgrounds since I've been governor and more good things on the way for, for the fairgrounds. So. You know, I'll get, I'll get over there one of these days and say hello to everybody.
1: All right. what well, Last question for you, Governor. I know you're going to get some frequent flyer miles here because you're going overseas uh, to Germany and such. What do you hope to accomplish over there?
2: Yeah, well, we've got a couple of prospects over there that we think we've got a really good chance to bring some more businesses back over here to Missouri. Uh, right now, Missouri's a pretty hot ticket overseas. You know, everybody's looking probably more at the distribution side of things. Uh, and we're just located in the best part of the United States. When you look at we're right in center, you got the two navigable rivers in the United States that run down our borders, highway system, the rail systems that we have. Uh, people are just trying to bring in distribution centers, put their business in there, and get products across the nation. And, you know, they're starting to learn that the regulatory environment on the east and west coast, things like that are very difficult to do business in. And so I think there's a real opportunity for us to bring some businesses here. I know one of the companies that we're visiting with uh has to do with the chip industry. Uh you know, I think we got a you know, we got a good shot at trying at trying to develop that here in Missouri and, and I know one thing, when you start talking about all these automobile chips and these semiconductor chips, that's gonna be a fast growing business. And we don't need to be relying on other countries to get all that force to keep our country going. So I'm kinda of excited about that meeting, but we'll see how it goes.
1: All right, Governor Parson, we always thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to visit with the folks here in West Central Missouri. And we hope to see you soon in our area. And hopefully, maybe you stop by the studio one day and take some calls from some of the listeners just for grins and giggles. But we hope to see you uh, in the near future. And thanks again so much for your time, Governor.
3: Show me the day.
1: Talking to your kids about the dangers
4: of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid.
3: Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake?
5: No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? (gasps) Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council.
6: As a truck driver,
5: I've
7: learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded.
5: So let's make it clear.
7: Kids make choices whether to drink or not.
10: Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping
4: over. Hey, Ann, remind me about that party again.
7: And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samhsa.gov.
6: We're
0: back on Show Me Today. This program has been around since 2018, and it's been changing the lives of residents of Southeast Missouri with employment and opportunities to help make child support payments. John Ginwright with the Missouri Department of Social Services talks to Anthony Morabith about the EDGE program.
10: One of the things that's great about the EDGE program is it was a program that we started a few years back that would really help us assist individuals that had child support uh, barriers unable to pay their child support but they wanted to pay their child support and this program helps those individuals get a job keep a job and really stay focused on bettering their family and themselves. And so, uh, this is a rather fascinating program. Uh, Child
5: support payments, possibly having criminal records, possibly facing several other barriers when it comes to obtaining employment. And basically, you come in and you you try to be the middleman, You, you, you try to help them out.
10: That is correct. It's not unheard of in the child support realm. To have uh, programs uh, dealing with employment, we have a few others. Uh, a lot of states have them. One of the unique things about the Edge program is how they go about doing it. Um, they are our vendor is the Community Partnership of Southeast Missouri, and they are have a lot of traction in the community-based services in the Cape Girardeau area. So uh, one of the services that they, uh, they help do is uh, employment services for mental health individuals. And there's a model in that world called the Individual Placement and Support, or IPS model. And it is a model that uh, basically highlights getting somebody rapid employment, getting them a job, and then working with them while they are employed to either get a better job or if they lose that job, to basically get another job. And the interesting thing about that is they took that IPS model that's normally used in mental health, and they brought it over to the child support spectrum. And so that's that's the model that they're using to employ the individuals that have child support cases and need help, um, because when you think about it, the, the main help they need is to get that income coming in, and then then you can work on something. You got to eat first, right? So um, you, you get a job, you start making money, then you start working on maybe getting that better job, or you work through the skills that's impeding you from keeping your job. And And uh, the IPS model is great in doing that. I
5: I think this is rather interesting, and I have a very specific reason in asking this question. And the reason is because I, I think that there's sort of a, I guess what you would call, an unfair stigma associated with, uh, for example, those who have uh, child support payments or, or I guess you could say those who struggle making child support payments. So my question is uh, more of what are sort of the demographics? Are these just everyday normal people walk of life? Are these people that make a certain income? Are these uh, primarily females? Are they primarily males?
10: We, we help everybody that wants our help. And that's very important because they come from all different spectrums of of life. Um, But if you need help paying your child support, we want to be the avenue, not just to do those enforcement actions, but to put you in a better position so that you can pay your child support. And it's very important that they come from all walks of life. They look like me and you. They look like, uh, you know, you can't point them out. You you can't point out somebody in in a crowd that said, okay, he or she's not paying their child support because they look just like us. And you also can't really say they're not paying their child support for a certain reason. I think a lot of times when we start talking about child support, everybody has a picture of the individual not paying child support. Um, But that doesn't always hold true. And a lot of the individuals that want to pay their child support can't pay their child support because they have barriers. And I'm sure
5: that there's several reasons as to why, and I'm sure. sure those vary depending on each individual
10: yes yeah they they vary, and then that's one of the great things about the edge program is they actually do that full assessment to see what their barriers are, and a lot of times when they work with that rapid employment, they'll start working there so that they get that first job and then they'll start working through their barriers to be able to identify the causes that uh, why they haven't been able to hold that full time job in the past. One of the great things that I can say about the edge program is that um. Statewide, about 45% of our caseload is in what we call pay status. The EDGE program has 77% of their cases in pay status. So almost 34 percentage points over the state average. And when you think about it, every one of those cases was not paying when they entered the EDGE program. Mm. And so it, it the effect that it does on the individual, because it gets them into a position where they're working every day, they have a job, then there's money coming into the family and a lot of times when those child support payments start then that other parent is more likely to to bring the child back into their home so that uh, they, they can be a full family again so it helps in many many ways and if you're just tuning in we're talking with John Jen deputy director
5: for the Family Support Division for the Missouri Department of Social Services we're talking about the edge program and I'm uh, curious I know that this is focused on sort of the eight-county area of southeast Missouri. Are there plans to
10: possibly expand this uh, statewide? We do have other employment programs statewide, specifically with the IPS point of view or, or method. That's the only one that we have. But we are looking at expanding success, breed success. And this is a very successful program. And we are looking at bringing this type of program with the rapid employment model uh, to other parts of the state as well. So, uh, as we're beginning to wrap things up here, talk to me a little bit about
5: uh, the success rate of this program. In addition
10: to that, uh, what kind of jobs are we looking at? Okay, the success rate is, uh, I think, for uh, January uh, they enrolled 22 people, and they uh, found 21 number, 21 people jobs. So the success rate is is very good. Now the thing is, and why it's very important to have a local community organization at the helm here is they have those internal contacts with the local lo- local employers. They recruit employers as hard as they recruit uh, clients, because relationship building is very important when somebody, when they call an employer and say, I think I have somebody that's going to fit. They know they're talking to somebody that really cares about the individual, but also cares about the reputation that they're sending somebody. If you go from the edge program they they expect that you're going to work out because they expect that they've been vetted properly through the community agency. Well, that's important too. It's very important. It's very trust is important in just about everything you do. And and if, and once you trust an organization to send you somebody that's a good fit, then that is it. it, it just kind of keeps on going. When I was talking to uh, the the project manager, he said that there's one employer in Cape Girardeau that said we will hire anybody that you send to us, mm. and you know that. Type of faith and that type of commitment to another organization is very unique. The types of jobs it fits the type of person. Um, there's fast food jobs, there's hospitality jobs, there's trucking jobs, there's construction jobs. Any type of job that that they need, they have relationships with in those one of those eight counties to try to place them there. With the 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 tendency being that rapid employment, let's get them employed the same day. They've they've actually. Employed people the same day they've enrolled. They sent them and they got a job that day. If they need something like work boots or some type of uniform, um, they will provide that for them or buy that for them so they can get those steel toe boots to go work in the warehouse. So uh, it's it's just a relationship that uh, you know really it's a model type of program that I'm very proud to be associated with.
5: And uh, last but certainly not least, um, where would we be able to find more? Information on this, I assume through the uh, Department of Social Services website, right?
10: Department of Social Services website, the Community Partnership of Southeast Missouri, CPCMO, they have a very good website. I think, they, well, they do have a page dedicated specifically to Edge uh, with contact information. If you are an employer in Southeast Missouri, they want to talk to you. If you have a child support case and unable to pay in Southeast Missouri, they want to talk to you as well. John jenright Deputy Director of the Family Support Division for the Missouri
5: Missouri Department of Social Services joins us here on Show Me Today, and this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s.
8: Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth.
7: And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices
8: with appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media.
7: Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not.
8: So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you.
7: For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov.
11: Email from school about the incident today.
8: It's scary.
11: Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on?
8: None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night too. Did you have a clue?
11: No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids.
8: Half the time, it's rumors.
11: It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor,
0: We're back on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack, and it's time to bring in our resident bug experts from MU Extension, Tamra Rial. Uh, hello, Tamra.
3: Hi, it's great to be back.
0: Yeah, we uh, talked at the Christmas holiday about bed bugs, and that kind of freaked me out. Uh, but now that the weather is starting to warm up, uh, we're starting to see bugs come out. and um, There's some good bugs and bad bugs uh, for your garden and things around your home, and that's what we want to talk about. Hey, Tamara, my first question, just in, in general, how warm does the temperature have to get before the bugs uh, come back to life, come out from underground?
3: Well, it kind of depends. Um, you, we'll start seeing more insects when, when it gets above 50 consistently. So at 50 degrees, insects are able to move a lot more freely. They're They're cold-blooded. And so when it's cold, they can't move very fast. Yeah. We do sometimes see insects that come out a little bit before that. Um, but generally, we won't see a big flush of insects until it's about 50 degrees consistently.
0: Is there a, a certain bug or a certain insect that when you see it, you can say, okay, you know what? And this might be like an old farmer's type of thing. But when you see a particular type of bug, that you know what, now we're going to have warm weather. Now things are really going to start warming up. Like, is there a smart bug over any others?
3: Oh, I wish that there was. Um, I know that I I start when it starts getting a little bit warm, and I start seeing bugs or bees. I start getting really excited. Um, But then also, when it starts getting a little bit warm, and I start seeing mosquitoes, then I start, you know, getting the shivers.
0: Tamara Rial is with us from MU Extension, and we'll be talking about good bugs, bad bugs for your garden. uh, Just general stuff all right so let's say the weather warms up gets up into the 50s and now all of a sudden these little guys they start you know creeping up and then we get those uh nights where it dips back below freezing do they're like oh hey i'm going back do they go back down the ground? what do they do like when they get hit with a cold snap like that are they smart enough to run or are they stuck or do they run for leaves what do they <laughs> what do they do run for cover
3: well yeah because they are cold-blooded they just slow down and so a lot of insects will have places under leaves or on on like the underside of a leaf or on bark or places like that where they they'll just be um and they'll just slow down and so they stop moving when when it gets cold a lot of our insects have been here um if they're native to here you know they they've adapted to our environment so they they're just built for being able to handle these extreme temperatures. When it gets really warm, like when it's sixty or even seventy in in the daytime, and then cools down to the twenties in the evening or in, at night. Yeah. So they're they're adapted for that. They can they can handle it.
0: Yeah. All right. So as we start getting out into our gardens, what type of bugs will we start seeing? Will we start seeing a lot more movement and? Uh, is there anything, as, as things are beginning to sprout, that we need to watch for very early in spring that, that could be trouble signs?
3: Well, the very first thing that we're going to start looking for with the rain that we're starting to get, you need to be on the lookout for mosquitoes. They are my number one bad bug. Um, not technically a bug. I have to say that because I'm an entomologist. They're, they're technically a fly. But they are the number one, and they respond very quickly to the temperatures. They just need it to be warm for about a week, and we'll start seeing them. So... So I just have to say, you know, PSA right here, as the rain comes down, make sure that you're emptying any standing water because they will start developing pretty quickly. And we, and because they can vector various diseases, a lot of different diseases, they're actually the most dangerous animal on earth. Um, we need to, to be watching for them and taking action right away.
0: Yeah, boy, you know, I guess I just never thought about them being a, a spring nuisance. I always thought more in the summertime, but... It can happen in March and in April, though, too. Wow. Well, that is a good PSA, good public service announcement for us, Tamara. All right. So we're going to watch for mosquitoes. What about uh, any other things that we see crawling around as our leaves start to um, you know, grow and, and you know, are there going to be things that, that are crawling on them that we'd be like, hey, all right, we're going to spray, get rid of that, or are there things that we can leave?
3: Well, I do want to point out that most of the insects that we come across are actually beneficial or neutral. So when you say, when are we going to start seeing things come out that we need to spray? I'm going to first off say, please don't. Let's identify the different insects first, because when we can figure out what it is, most likely it's going to be a beneficial insect, and we need that diversity of insects. So many good insects actually eat the bad ones. So um, that said, get out in your garden when, when it starts getting a little bit warm and start looking everywhere. You're going to see lots of different things. One of the insects that I do see more often um, in the spring that that can just explode in population are aphids. You'll probably start to see aphids. Look at the the newly the new growth and um, the areas that are going to be um, the most succulent and soft. You'll start seeing aphids, and don't do anything quite yet because the good bugs will come in. We'll start seeing ladybugs too, and and the adult ladybugs as well as their their larvae and pupae, which look kind of like teeny tiny little crocodiles. Um, they're kind of unique, but those are those are good, too. Those become adult ladybugs later on.
0: Okay. See, Tamara Rial is with us. She's our uh, bug expert from MU Extension joining us this week. And, you know, and, and I said that, too, about, you know, spraying or getting rid of bugs because I think most people have a negative connotation. And so all of a sudden you start seeing insects, and and I think just... You know, maybe we've been conditioned through commercials or advertising or whatever it may be or just, you know, ugh, bugs are scary, bugs are bad, that, oh, you got to get rid of them right away. So have some patience early. What are some things that you should look for with your uh, plants and vegetables, and, and maybe this is later in the summer, if if your plants are under stress from bugs? Well,
3: um, so... I, such great questions. And I have to go back to that other thing that you said. Most of the insects, again, they are good. So I'm really glad that you pointed out. Most people do have an X factor when it comes to anything with more than two legs or four legs. <laughs> and we love, our, we love our pets, whether or not get enough water or even too much water. Those plants are actually more attractive to insects. So if we're taking care of our plants properly, then we're going to have fewer pest problems. So that means making sure that your plants are well watered. Um, and watered appropriately, so you don't want to give them too much, but you need to make sure that they're getting enough. Um, and making sure that they have the right amount of sun and they have the right amount of nutrients. So if you've done your soil testing and you've planted appropriate plants, then your plants are going to be in the best position to be able to handle any insect stress. Now, things that you're going to look for if there are insects. First of all, you'll want to see if there actually are insects there. So if you see an insect, it could be the wrong insect at the wrong time or in the wrong place, but it could actually be a problem. And um, so either, you know, put it in a, in a bag so that you can take it to your extension, snap a picture of it, but let's get it identified. Um, you might see wilting on the plant. You might see something called stippling, which is like tiny little spots um, where you have a leaf that's supposed to be green and now it looks kind of bronze. That might mean that you have insects. In a case like that, I'd flip the leaf over and look underneath because often these insects will be on the underside. Um, so wilting, wilting is a good sign as well. Um, that the thing is, is we have to know what insect we're dealing with, um, and even if it's an insect, because it could be a virus, it could be um, a fungus. It, there are a lot of things it could be. So, so you have to do your inspecting to figure to figure out what's really going on there.
0: Once you identify. Are there some safer uh, ways to get rid of them as opposed to spraying?
3: Absolutely. So, if, once you've identified the insect, if it actually is a pest and you need to do something about it, there are definitely ways that you can do you can take care of it. So, it might mean that you can just put that that insect into a container of soapy water. That's one of the easiest ways. Um, or maybe maybe you do need to put something on it, and that might be like a horticulture oil or horticulture soap. So you could spray things like that. So that's that's pretty low toxicity, um, which means that it's it's not going to um, it's not going to be bad for the environment. It's it's not going to last a long time, so it's not going to affect our beneficials as much.
0: Tamara Rial from MU Extension. So uh, to summarize. Uh, Most bugs are good. Uh, Don't jump to conclusions right away. And uh, if you're unsure, you can always contact your local MU Extension office. There's one in each county, and they'll be able to help uh, figure out the the best route to go and and how to handle a potential pest.
3: That's absolutely right.
0: Yeah, all right, good stuff. Tamara Rial from MU Extension, always uh, appreciate you visiting, and this was a lot better than the bed bugs. This one didn't gross me out as much, so. I'm so glad.
7: (laughs) Hey, thanks for the visit. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri.
6: I'll be here to hear what's on your mind.
7: As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Over the past few years, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected how we live our daily lives.
8: Today, one in five Americans experience emotional and mental health challenges, but many of us do not understand what we are facing or how to ask for help.
7: At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental health.
8: If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit MentallyHealthyNation.org to learn more. I
10: see you finally got a new helmet!
0: I did. Bought it cheap online. <laughs> Follow me, we'll turn
8: off here.
3: I'm right behind you!
8: Watch the cars. They can be crazy.
3: Patty! Oh, no! Are you okay? Somebody do something!
9: Was this young man hit by a car?
3: Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new helmet!
9: It's probably a fake.
7: Fakes cause real harm. You're smart, buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office.
4: I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.ShareTheRoadSafely.gov. Do
8: you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved?
9: Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking?
8: If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol
9: is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Alanon and Alateen In- well, can help. Call 1 866
6: 200 0223 or visit slash help.
0: Back on Show Me Today. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Bill Pollack. Missouri lawmakers are considering whether the state needs a conviction review unit. They are also reviewing a bill that would give people who are wrongfully imprisoned some restitution. Alisa Nelson talks to State Senator Brian Williams from University
4: City about his bills. We saw that there had been some, some pretty notable cases throughout the state uh, pertaining to men that were falsely convicted of a crime and, and sent to prison for a very significant amount of time. Um, some some of those notable folks were Kevin Strickland in Kansas City, um, just recently released uh, Lamar Johnson. And had those two cities not had a, a conviction integrity unit, they may not have been free today. Uh, so that plays such a big role in us being able to determine whether or not those gentlemen were innocent or not
8: so tell us how your bill would work
4: so basically it would provide a statewide Conviction Integrity Unit, and uh, it would allow prosecutors and um, them to be able to review evidence and and provide that evidence to determine whether or not uh, someone has been wrongfully convicted or um, sent to prison for a crime they did not commit.
8: Now, would these be certain crimes? Like, would they be mainly violent crimes? Um...
4: Yeah, well, it'd be really any crime that someone's been convicted of. So it'll be any crime. And um, we don't want to limit it to certain crimes. We want there to be really any crime just based on what the evidence that's been provided for as well. So, I mean, that's extremely important for us. And again, you know, this is about determining whether or not someone uh, was falsely accused or, or sentenced to prison for a crime they did not commit. Um, and then we want to identify and, and, and remedy these false convictions.
8: So, would this be a cost that the state would bear? Would the locals bear it? Would there be a, a combination?
4: Yeah. So it'll be a it'll be a combination, and, and basically, when you establish this, we already have one in St. Louis and in Kansas City. So this is just establishing a statewide conviction review unit. And again, um, you know, as we stated before, the criminal justice system is extremely complex. And for us to kinda get through the layers of protection for those that are entangled in the criminal justice system, we want to have this as a tool to be able to provide a remedy. So in in regards to this, uh it'll ask for a, a review unit and will will present its findings to the attorney who prosecuted the case or to the office that initiated the review. Mm -hmm. So that would be the office and the prosecutor that would be responsible for gathering the information and moving forward.
8: Do you have a fiscal note? Do you have a cost projection on this if this were to be
4: uh, launched? Yeah, so we haven't determined the fiscal note on it yet because, again, a lot of these departments outside of St. Louis and Kansas City are pretty small. Mm-hmm. So it will really, they, they vary in size, so we don't anticipate it being a large fiscal note, but also we don't really anticipate there being, there. I mean, there has not been a large number of exonerees. Mm-hmm. So it requires such a high burden of proof for someone to be exonerated. So for us, we don't anticipate it being a large number, but also these to be smaller apartments in terms of the prosecution side of things.
8: Missouri lawmakers are considering whether the state needs a conviction review unit. State Senator Brian Williams of University City wants to create one. He joins Show Me Today to talk about his bill. I'm Elisa Nelson. What sort of opposition are you hearing, um, whether that be in committee or otherwise, about the bill?
4: Well, one, there hasn't been any, and I wanted to—, to um Pull up the the committee information. So basically, uh, we work with the prosecutors. Uh, we work with members of law enforcement, and 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 I, and I want your listeners to to really understand. Um, we have been able to really take a, a really important and necessary approach to criminal justice reform here in, in state level. Uh, in 2021, I sponsored uh, and um, partnered with Senator Tony Luke Demire to pass Senate Bill 53 and 60. That was the bill that added the motion to vacate, which ultimately provided the tool for uh, prosecutors to be able to uh, vacate, provide a motion to vacate the um, the charges against Kevin Strickland and Lamar Johnson. And that's how we were able to free them due to the Supreme Court um, shooting down the original statute saying we needed to change it. So since we passed that bill in 2021, that gave prosecutors uh, the tools to be able to to provide evidence to determine if these gentlemen were uh, innocent or not moving forward, we were always really focused on a more comprehensive approach to really provide a, a, a full remedy. So um, the compensation uh, bill, the, the conviction integrity unit bill, those were always things that were on our radar. So working with the prosecutors, working with members of law enforcement, working with of various uh, groups like uh, the ACLU and and Empower Missouri, we were able to build a a, a stakeholder group that allows us to really get a perspective and insight from every uh, facet of the process. So we, we, we didn't anticipate any opposition just because of the fact that we worked with so many different partners.
8: I can't remember. Is this the bill that is uh, attached to another bill or is it your restitution bill? I can't remember.
4: The Uh, Conviction Integrity Unit? Yeah. So those are two separate bills. Mm -hmm. Um, The compensation bill is is a separate bill. Now, what we're doing is just creating a statewide Mm -hmm. conviction unit Mm -hmm. because it don't exist in any other parts of the state outside of St. Louis and Kansas City. So we want it to be statewide. So if someone's convicted of a crime in uh, some other part of the state, we want them to be able to have a fair chance to determine whether or not they were innocent. Mm -hmm. So right now, without that unit existing, there's really no tool to provide uh, a remedy if somebody was falsely accused of a crime. So we want to make sure we, we right that wrong. On the other side of it, with the compensation, since we brought it up, if someone was exonerated for a crime that they did not commit, we're proposing a bill, Senate Bill Two Fifty Three, to ultimately provide um, up to sixty-five thousand dollars for an exoneree, based on statute um, in other states that were set at seventy thousand, to ultimately be able to compensate someone who clearly spent a majority of their Um, earning years in prison.
8: I was just going to ask you where you came up with the 65K. So Mm -hmm. it's it's lower than some of the other states. And that's kind of why you decided to put it where you're at then.
4: And it's higher than the current wages in Missouri today. Missouri is tied for the lowest in the country with Iowa for $18,000 that actually articulate what a compensation wage would be, and it would require uh, it to be a case where DNA evidence was involved.
8: So your bill, would it clear that DNA evidence portion?
4: It would clear the DNA evidence portion, and it would also um, be raised more on other instances that may provide a a, a burden of proof. So clearly, prosecution errors. There's a situation where there may be uh, information that that not inaccurate information from an inmate or if there's a situation where they may have been um, um, in Lamar's case a a prosecution error we will be able to consider all of those things in terms of the burden of proof on whether or not someone would be eligible for compensation.
8: Would there be any other compensation involved if um, if someone were wrongfully accused and cleared?
4: Well you got to remember if someone's exonerated of a crime in the state of Missouri they're not eligible for any benefits. So someone who has went to prison been convicted of a crime that they actually did is eligible for resources through um, parole services. If you're exonerated, you're not eligible for any benefits. So what this compensation package would do is provide them with benefits.
8: When you're talking someone who could be getting up to $65,000 a year for every year they're in prison, can we afford this?
4: Well, we have a record surplus, and I can tell you now we have. Um, this is only another example of investing in in, in uh, our, our state. Um, we're investing in people uh, who who deserves, in my opinion, to to get some sense of restitution for their time because it was a state mistake.
8: All right, State Senator Brian Williams, thank you for your time.
4: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
8: This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show
4: me today.